Pastor Adam Lavecki here. This is a sermon live from Rescue Church. We hope it blesses you. Going back, so this word hesed I heard during the Bible plan I was listening to. And again, it means loyal love. And I was saying that the Greek and Hebrew have so many words for love, with so many meanings. And all we have is that one little four-letter word, love, that sometimes in the English language we abuse, we misuse, we don't understand. We want to give it a new definition, right? And yet, God has so many aspects of himself for us to understand. That's why I was quickly, um, Deb and I were having a quick conversation this morning. She's like, oh, what am I preaching about? And I, I told her that about this word, about the meaning of love and just the aspects of God and the characters of God. And then she's talking, oh, we're singing about the Father's love and things like that. I'm like, that's awesome. Because God's love is just so different. And the fact that, again, he wants to express it in so many different ways. But one of the ways is this loyal love. And this loyal love is not based on what you do for me. It's not based on your actions. It's based on my character. It's based on who I am or who God is, that he's set to love you no matter what you do. He's already set his mind to say, I'm going to love that one. I'm going to love this one. So he's, no matter what you do, his mind is made up. He has this loyal love towards us. So then, listen to this. Okay, like, where am I going to take this? I can't just talk about this word for 30, 40 minutes. Not an hour. <laughs> so, but then God brought me to Ruth. And at first, Adam was like, you're not going to preach a woman's message, are you? I'm like, no. It's not a woman's message. Just because there's a woman as, as the main character here, it's not just for the ladies. And no, it's not for the single ladies either. Because a lot of times people turn that like Boaz, wait for your Boaz, don't get a cheap pet, you know, real broke ass, <laughs> all that stuff, right? It's not to, now, remember God's word, and ultimately, as we've even gone through the, um, the one book, we just finished a big story. Ultimately, the Old Testament, what is it all about? Jesus. That's how our perspective has to be on every story we read in the Old Testament. What's God doing? It's like God gave us his blueprints. I'm like, which, well, we get the advantage, unlike the Israelites did, to kind of be like, oh, wow, God, that's what you did, where the Israelites had to live in the midst of it, wondering, God, what are you doing? You know, we get to look at it and be like, oh, wow, God, you put this person in this place, that person in this place, all to bring Jesus into the picture. So even with a book like Ruth, the, this fairly small book of four chapters, God is really revealing his character, revealing who he is, revealing his heart just through this one woman that's not even an Israelite. So it's amazing. So we're going to dive into the book of Ruth. We're going to not read every verse, but we're going to read some, and we're going to just point you some notes that I took as I read it. And for us, as we read scripture, to be open to what is God saying, what is God going to reveal to us. So I'm going to start in Ruth 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. So we'll stop there for a second. So now we're just given time. This is the time when the judges ruled. There's no king yet. And at this time, Israel was quite chaotic, you can say. 
the judges were set up to try to bring some kind of order, some type of reminding what they're supposed to be doing, but Israel is in chaos. And then we find, okay, this guy is from Bethlehem. And then what is Bethlehem right now? In a famine. You know what Bethlehem means? The house of bread. Yeah. And they're going through a famine. And so he and his wife decide to pick up with their two sons to a land of Moab. The man was Elimelech and the name of his wife, Naomi. I did, because I love the meaning of names and I think it's really important. So we found, we know Elimelech, which means my God is king or God of the king, which is very fascinating as I was reading through this, like, wow, God. And Ruth means pleasant or friendship. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Killian, which their names, in a way, now almost bring more sadness to their story. Malon means sick. Killian means pining, longing, or gradually declining in health. And they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took, the sons took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah, which I could not find a meaning of her name, and the name of the other, Ruth. Oh, did I mix that up? I did. My, Naomi's my delight. Ruth is friendship. They lived there about 10 years, and both Malon and Killian died. Unfortunately, their names... You know, um, and they, they passed away, and so that the women now were left with no men. Now, in that culture, that was not good at all, because the men was really the man was the one that was supposed to provide, bring co like have coverage, like that was the woman's like only way to survive at times. But God is so good. If you look through His law, He set up ways to make sure they were taken care of. But does that mean? those laws were always followed? No. So unfortunately, they're really marginalized at this point of putting quite in danger. So going on, then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So things are changing in Bethlehem. Something happened, that something good is happening in Bethlehem. It's finally becoming again the house of bread. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. So that does show you a little bit about the wife's character. The fact that they even married men that did not have the best of names. But the fact that they were dedicated to their, these men, most likely while they were sick, shows that these women were kind women. They were good women. These men married good women. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. And I'm, we're going to find out more about that word rest later, because that's important right there. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept, and they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. 
But she thought she was helping them, saying, don't be with me. I'm, I'm done. I'm finished. God has nothing else for me. She was really bitter. She was low. She was low here. She was hopeless and bitter. So she's thinking, I want to cut them off from me and send them back to their home where they can be with their families. They'll be better off than with me. So turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, if I had hope. Would you therefore wait till they are grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lift up their voice and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, and left. So Orpah's like, okay, I'll go back. But Ruth clung to her. Sometimes like, why? Why did Ruth cling? And she said, she's, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. She didn't want to turn back to where she came from, to their gods. I'm curious, and my mind kind of goes like, did throughout the time of Naomi and Ruth be together for 10 years, they were together for 10 years, Naomi must have taught Ruth the word, must have showed her faith. So much so that Ruth is like, I don't want to go back to where I came from. There's something about your God. No, even though she just witnessed, and even Naomi from her own mouth is saying, God's done with me. Even after her seeing them, the men die, there's something about that faith that she still wanted. There's something about the people that she still wanted. There's something about, the, about Ruth that she still wanted to be with. But also in this... There's that word hesed, or also there were that loyal love, that it wasn't, because right now Naomi was not in the best place. And I can see why anyone might just walk away. But there is loyalty there, whereas Ruth is, no, I can't let this woman go. I cannot, I have to be with her, with her God, with her people, I have to be. So there's that longing there to be together. So I wrote here, although hopelessness and bitterness was in her midst, she desired the God of Naomi, even in the midst of that. Again, the kindness based on commitment. There was love there based on commitment. So Naomi says, okay. Actually, she said, she said no more. She stopped talking. <laughs> she realized there's no, I'm not going to fight with this lady. Okay, she's going to come with me. All right. So now they returned. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, is this Naomi? So that tells you something, that she was known in Bethlehem. So when they were first there, they must have been people perhaps of wealth, of people of dignity. They must have been people well-known for the whole town, like, oh, is this Naomi? And they probably thought, like, she, Naomi's probably coming with nothing. They're probably like, wait, is this Naomi? 
Is this the woman we used to know that probably was grand and now look at her? It's like, is this her? She said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, which is, means bitter, sad, heavy. She didn't want to be known by my delight anymore because that is not who she felt like she was. She thought, I'm no longer delight, delightful. No, I'm bitter, I'm heavy, I'm sad. I don't want to be known by that name anymore. She wanted to, her identity became how she felt. Her identity came, became her circumstances rather than who she was called to be. But we know God's about to change that. And then there comes Ruth 2. Ruth 1 was not the end of the story. There's Ruth 2. So now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech. God is king, or the God of the king, whose name was Boaz, which means fleetness, quickness. Also, this word is used again when the temple is built. That's the name of one of the pillars in the temple, is Boaz. So what do we learn about this guy, just one verse, that he is a worthy man, he's a great man, mostly a rich man, and he's a relative. So verse two, and the Ruth, the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall, fi shall find favor. So now we're gonna pause this. What she's referring to is a law that God set into place of where the poor of the, of the the area of the country can kind of glean off what was harvested, kind of the stuff that was left over to again, provide for the poor. So in God's law, there's provision for the poor. So they know the law, and so they're taking advantage of the law. She's like, go, she's gonna do heavy work. This is not like glorious work. Think about it, a lot of people here put it, would not wanna go work in a farm field and get their hands dirty, it's, it's hot. That's to us is not the most glorious of work. And so, but this is what she chose to do to be committed to Naomi and see that they don't starve to death. Because if they don't do that, they're done for. That's it, if they don't do something. So she's willing to do this demeaning work to go out in the fields and glean. So again, where that comes from, Leviticus 19, 9 and 10, that's where that law is revealed, and so they're, they're using that law to their advantage. And we have to remember, when, when Ruth really decided to go with Naomi, she was deciding to go into a land that wasn't hers, so she was going to be a foreigner, an outcast, and also she was very poor. That's not great things going for her right there. And despite that, she still chose to go, despite she knew that this was not going to be, or she thought she wasn't going to be welcomed or the, what would have easily assumed in that time period she was not gonna be welcomed as a foreigner that was poor. And so Naomi said, go. This, was, this is Ruth offering, like, let me go to the field and do this. And Naomi's like, go, my daughter. So she sets out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. So Boaz was introduced, but when she goes out to this field, she doesn't know Boaz. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. 
And they answered, the Lord bless you. So what's interesting here is that Boaz, remember, he's the rich guy. The owner of this field is what he's doing. He's among his workers. That shows you his character, that this is a good man. He's choosing to be among his laborers, checking out who they are. He even is very observant to like, wait a minute, as we're going to find out who's that woman. So he knows his people. The fact that he can pick someone out that he doesn't know means he knows his people. This is a man of honor. This is a man of order. This is a good man. And so he says, who is this young woman? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. So she's been working hard, but she did come, ask permission to do, to do this thing. So then Boaz goes to Ruth. Now listen, my daughter, do you do not glean in another field? I mean, he's telling like you are safe here. You can stay here. You can do what you need to do. Do not worry about going anywhere else. But keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? So he's a protector. And then when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. So even more provision there. Drink from the water. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have taken refuge. So he's recognized that she's come for the Lord. He's recognized that she has come to take refuge in God. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread. Dip your morsel in wine. So even more welcoming. He's eating with his people. Again, this is like even during that culture, that's like, wow, like this is a good guy. <laughs> this is a good man. Like this, what he's, he goes above and beyond to really care for the people in his house, in his fields, to really take care. And then she ate until she was satisfied and had some left over, and it is assumed she did that to take some back to Naomi. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her, and also pull out some of the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean, do not rebuke. So now they're strategically placing even more stuff just for her so she can be abundantly blessed. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had, and it was about an ephah of barley, which is a lot of, a lot of grain she was able to get. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw that she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over from being satisfied. So again, she brought that food over back to Naomi. So where did you go? Where did you glean today? Where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. 
So she told her mother-in-law in whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I worked today was Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. So redeemers, what that means in the law back then, when a husband passes away and there's a wife that's left, a widow that's left, if there was any brothers, she would become his wife. In this case, there's no more brothers. So what does that mean? The next re closest relative can absorb her into the family and, him be and her become his wife. So that means he's one of the redeemers for the family because he would be willing to take care of what others have left behind. What's happened with, with, with death is he's able to, to take them in and Ruth said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with this young woman, lest in another field you'd be assaulted. So she kept close to the young woman of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. So this is, I mean, she was there from the beginning of the harvest all the way to the end of the harvest. So now we're getting close to the end of the harvest. So this is quite a little bit of time. So now Ruth 3. But one thing I do want to say, something I wrote here, is that what I kind of got from this too is that Naomi is almost like a picture of Israelites. Leaving the land, finding out that's not so good, and coming back. This constant ebb and flow of leaving and coming back leaving to find nourishment only to encounter death and disappointment returns to be redeemed. How many times have we done, we've left for something we thought was better and we've returned to God to be redeemed? It's a beautiful picture of that. So Ruth 3, now this is where it can get quite um, controversial, I guess so to speak, because Naomi has an idea. But first, we find that Naomi, in return, really cares about Ruth. Because not only does, she wanna, does Naomi want to be redeemed and be taken care of, but she wants to make sure Ruth receives a good husband, a good man to take care of her. Oh, I went too far. There it is. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? So I'm gonna stop here with that rest, that seek rest. Rest means in this context, marriage or security. Marriage is a state of rest. Now sometimes it may not feel that way, those who are married, but what it means that there's no more wanderings of the heart, that you have settled to choose, this is the one I love. My heart is at rest. I'm with the one that we can care for each other, we can love each other, honor each other. Now, sometimes if that's not in a spirit of rest, that means we have to come together, come before God, find out what's off, and receive that and rest, receive his healing because Again, his intention is for that to be a state of rest 
for your heart, for your soul. So I pray that over each marriage here and those to be married, that your marriage would feel like a state of rest. And if it's not, it's okay to look at that, ask God what needs to be fixed, what can I do, that I returns that way. But that's why like, when you're, sometimes it can be hard being single. I remember my time, like almost like sometimes your, your mind's constantly looking like, oh, is that one? Oh, he looks good, is that the one? Like you're kind of like that, constantly like looking, right? It's okay. <laughs> It's all right, or running. <laughs> but what's, again, now it kind of, again, there's little things in every story, there's little things each, because anyone, each person that reads story, you're gonna hear different things based on where you're at. And that's okay. Reading this book 20 years ago is gonna give me something different than reading it now, because I have maturity, and also where am I at? You know, but also for, the single, just a message to the singles in this is to be focused on what God has for you and that he will provide. Now, it doesn't mean not looking for an opportunity, but it's not to be focused and consumed by that. And that may not just mean singleness. That can mean other things that we're searching for. It's not to, be, to make sure we're being focused and loyal to God. Because I, I don't know if I wrote in this one, but loyalty sets us up for blessing and provision. So as long as we stay loyal to God, we're focused on Him, He'll provide the other things. We should not become consumed with the things that our heart's desire or other things that we want to not be consumed by. It doesn't mean not to entertain it, it's not not to pray about it, but not to be consumed, right? At that point, it looked like Ruth was consumed with making sure her and Naomi were okay. She worked long days to make sure her and Naomi were all right. She was not consumed with looking for a husband. Because again, that was already set up in the first chapter, be like, oh, getting you a husband, that's gonna set you up. You're gonna be okay if you can get that. But she was not focused on getting that. She was focused on taking care of Naomi. So we're going to learn about Naomi's plan. Is not Boaz our relative with whose young woman you, are, you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. So that's the end of the harvest. He's working with his workers to finish up the harvest, and they're going to have a big celebration after that. Wash, therefore, anoint yourself, put on nice clothes, get yourself cleaned up, smell nice and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. Now, if we pause for a minute, we can imagine that this may not be the best advice. Now, this is, per, this is descriptive, not perscriptive. So no single people need to be going laying by anyone they want, thinking that's how they're gonna get their man. No, this is descriptive. And again, we can, big thing here is God's character and the coming of Jesus. Now, what's interesting here, if you think about, it's a trust in both of their characters. For her to put Ruth in a very compromising position, 
she trusted Boaz's character and she trusted Ruth's character to not do the wrong thing. So this was really a trust in their character of who they were, of who they were known to be. And one commentary I looked at, and technically by the law, in Naomi's eyes, they were married, because technically by the law, if he's the closest relative, then they're married. Just he didn't know that yet. <laughs> so Ruth's about to let him know. But she's not aware of what we're going to find out, that there could be someone else. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, his heart was merry. He went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether rich or poor. So he's recognizing again her continual loyalty to Naomi to not even go about looking for other men during this time. He recognizes that. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask for all my fellow townsmen. Know that you are a worthy woman. Her, a virtuous woman, there's another, another translation there that she's already known throughout the land that she is a virtuous woman. Her reputation precedes herself. She's known by that. And now that is true, I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So the plan worked. <laughs> the plan worked. And we're going to see what happens with the other one. But... So he, she laid at her feet, she got up in time, but before she leaves, he asked, he about to give her like a ridiculous amount of food. So again, he's providing for her, going above and beyond, giving her the provision that she needs. So he gives six measures of barley. Oh, she goes back to Naomi, telling her, you know, that he gave me six measures of barley for you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. And she replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. So let's find out. Here's that quickness. Remember his name means quickness? Next morning, he's like, oh, let's get this done. Let's get this moving. So no time, waste no time, and puts everything together. So also a testament to his character. Very quickly... It says, so verse 1, now Boaz had gone to the gate and sat there, and behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. As he turned aside and sat down, he took 10 men or, of elders of the city. So very quickly, he just starts gathering a meeting. So the fact that these men are willing to just stop whatever they're doing and come meet for him shows you, again, that he is a man that is honored, and they're willing just to stop everything. Be like, oh, bad. Boaz calls the meeting? Okay, I'm there. If he's calling it, I'm there. So 
he sat down and said, Naomi, who has come back from the country Mohad, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I'll redeem it. But there's more. Then Boaz says, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, oh, I cannot redeem it for myself lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I can redeem it. So, going back. So again, this is also kind of pointing to some of the laws. In Leviticus 25, 24, it explains how this is very lawful for the Redeemer to redeem the land of those that have died. But at first he's like, yeah, I'll, t I'll take land. Sure, I'll take more land. But he didn't count the full cost. To him, oh, I got to take her too? Oh, that might ruin my inheritance. Oh, he kind of missed out. If you think of it, like he didn't realize really what he said no to. I mean, great for Boaz. I mean, I think that was God's plan anyway. He probably knew that guy is like, he doesn't, he's not going to take that. But he said no to a lineage that went all the way to Jesus. So to him, it was like, oh, another wife. Oh, but then I might have to share my inheritance with that relative, like, and that heir and that son, if we have a son. Like, and his said, like, no, nah, I don't want to do that. That might ruin me. That might ruin my plans. And so what does he do? He takes off his shoe and gives it over. So be like, what? Why is he taking off his shoe? Well, that's also in Deuteronomy 25, 5 to 10. But in this case, in the law, it'd be like if he refuses and like if they go before him and the brother refuses to redeem, then technically the wife can take off his shoe and spit in his face. So it didn't have to go that far. This is a little more civil because it was a little bit of a different situation. But it is symbolic of like, oh, I'm going to take off my shoe. It's your land to walk on. It's your land to take. So that was symbolic transactions done. That's all they needed to do for the transaction. Symbol of surrender. Taking off your shoe. Symbol of surrender. And then what's beautiful after this, I'm going to skip down to verse 11, because then the community says this prayer. Whereas we as witnesses, may the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house, like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthy in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And, you, and may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring and the Lord will give you by this woman. So wow, what a powerful prayer. And they don't realize what they're praying. Or maybe they do. A beautiful, because God is like, yep, yep, don't you worry, I got her, because those descendants, just like Rachel and Leah, birthed the tribes of Judah, 
right? They were the mothers of the tribes of Judah. She's about to be the mother, again, that continues the lineage all the way to Jesus. She's the, about to birth the grandfather of King David. So that prayer is powerful. And then Perez, what's mentioned, which is also, Perez is in the lineage of Boaz. As you see down here with the lineage of David, which it mentions at the end, but Perez is, um, I believe, like the great-grandfather, if you kind of, he's like the great-grandfather of Boaz, Perez. And Perez was born also through the same law because Tamar was a wife to one of Judah's brothers. The brother dies. Judah takes, she births a son, Perez, through Judah. So Perez was birthed through that same law that they're about to enact um, in this case. So now there's great celebration. Ruth and Boaz marry. And then the women to Naomi after they, because verse 13, Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. Naomi is back to being Naomi. God has redeemed her completely and brought her an heir that again would bring forth the one that God has planned for in Jesus. Amen. That again, the woman that were first, oh, is this Naomi? Is she okay? They'd be like, Naomi, look. You don't have to be go by Mara anymore. That is not you. Look what God has done for you. Look what God has done. He shall be to you a restorer of life, speaking over her heir, a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child, laid him on her lap, and became his nurse. And the woman of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now, these are the generations of Perez. Remember, starting with that Perez. Father of Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nation. Nation fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. You know who Salmon's wife was? Rahab. Rahab was the prostitute that helped Israelites conquer the wall of Jericho. That was his mother. Rahab was Boaz's mother. So what's so fascinating to me, there's a couple of things here I want to touch upon. But just staying on that concept real quick of Rahab and then also Ruth, that God continuously draws, brings people into the line of Jesus, into this whole big story that are not Israelites that God is redeeming the nations of the world already through the lineage that he's creating to bring forth Jesus. He brought in Rahab, he brought in Ruth because of their willingness to serve, to love, right? Rahab risked her life. Because you know why? Because she said, we see what, what God has done in other countries. <laughs> and I can see your God is greater than mine. 
And she was like, come, <laughs> I'll help you. I'll help you. What did Ruth say? She saw Naomi like, I want your God. I want your God. You realize Ruth, she was barren for 10 years. Century, she didn't have any children with the, the husband that passed away. What's also interesting, I went on a little tangent, because in Deuteronomy, it does mention the Moabites, and they were excluded from entering the assembly for 10 generations. So her people were excluded from the assembly 10 generations. Ten years barren, she brings forth where she is now going to be birthed the, one, the king, that his son is going to build that temple that they were excluded from. Talk about redemption. Like, God, wow, what you do. Sometimes I'm just amazed. I step back like, God, you are like the master architect where you just start placing people in the right places, in the right time. Because I'm sure those 10 years might have been hard to be barren. But God's like, don't worry, I got you, my daughter. You're going to birth something great. Barren, the years of barrenness are not easy. Are not easy for those who've also birthed and had to wait. For those who also maybe had birth vision and other things that you've had to wait for, it's not easy. But what's interesting, if you look through the Old Testament, barrenness keeps on coming up. But every time, the end of barrenness is promise. Abraham and Sarah, barren, promise comes forth. Right? Every single time there's barrenness, God's like, don't worry, I got you. Promise, here you go. He, like, he answers big. It's like, oh, no, no, just wait. Just wait. It's almost like they, they did, I remember hearing some experiments they do with kids, Right? Of like, oh, you can have a cookie now, but oh, if you wait, you can have like five cookies, right? And like half of them, guess what? No, just give me the cookie now. I'm good. Or the other half like, oh, no, I'll wait. I can wait for my blessing. I will, I will, I'll take more. And sometimes it's like we're, we can be offered the same thing. Sometimes it's the enemy that offers the thing that's smaller. And God's like, no, can we just wait? While I build you up, while I make sure you're in the right place at the right time, sometimes God wants to build something in us so to make sure we can carry the blessing he wants to give us. Sometimes if we get it too early, we're going to break, we're going to fall, it's not going to last. But God's like, if you just wait, let me strengthen you. Let's go through this process. Right? I think of Adam with the weightlifting, it's just a process in order to hold heavier and heavier weight. It's a process for us to hold what God wants to give us. So help us to be loyal to the process, loyal to what God has for us. So some notes, again, God is a God of order, honor, kindness, and redemption. And I see his fingerprints all over the story of just God working through the, these women, working through a man of honor like Boaz. And just, just a picture, again, of what God can do, of his, just how good he is. Again, a loyalty will position you for longevity. Right? Her loyalty positioned her for her blessings, and now her name is in the Bible that we read to this day because of her loyal love. So her loyalty it set her up, positioned her for longevity. And again, like I said, God continues 
And even now, he continue, he puts people from all over the place, people that are very unlikely people, right in the perfect spot for God to do something. Right? It's just amazing what God can do. It's a story of God's loyal love and kindness. That God was also committed to seeing his vision come through. But he was committed to loving Ruth. He was committed to loving Naomi. Again, this is also really speak to those who have gone through pain, loss, that God is still with you, that he can redeem those parts, that God can do that. And family of generations, I feel like we've, in the last couple of weeks, we've really, God's really been hitting us hard with family and just generations. And for us to, again, what I mentioned during the retreat, there's a lot of people here where you're, you're first generation. Some of you are second. Some of you have, you know, were able to be gifted some things, but also God's calling you to take the next step up. And for them, you, some of you who had, had never had that, that picture of what a godly family and marriage looks like, well, guess what? You can be the first ones. You can do that for your family and your generations, for your generations to be blessed. And again, if you don't have kids, God's placed you here so other generations can be blessed through you as well. You don't have to have kids to bless generations after generations. And also going back to his name, Elimelech's name, God of the king, or God is king. So think about it. At the beginning of this story, what happens? He dies. God of the king. God is king. He dies. What happens at the end? God birthed the king. So that beginning, that hopelessness is there. At the end, it's like, no, 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 you don't understand. I've been setting this up. That although this hope might have died, I'm, I'm resurrecting it. I'm redeeming it. And I also think about, I know it's a completely weird jump forward, but sometimes I think about with Jesus, when he died, how disappointed the disciples were because he didn't do it the way they thought. They, he, they thought he was going to come conquering, army, do all this. But God, no. He, that's not his plan. That's not his plan. My plan is so much greater and so much bigger. So think to be disappointed, thinking, oh, I'm done for. This is it. No, God's like, no, you don't get it. I'm about, the seed is in the ground, it's breaking forth, and something bigger is going to come up. And so not to be disappointed when things don't go quite the way you thought. Because I really do believe God has something bigger then and something greater. So thank you, Jesus. So I just want to pray into that real quick. So God, help us to be loyal lovers of you. Help us to have loyal love towards you that helps us to be loyal toward each other. That help us to see what you've called us to be completely loyal to so we can set ourselves up for longevity of what you have for us, God. That we bless the generations and generations that are coming And we receive, we receive, Jesus, what you have for us. We thank you that you decided to include, you chose to include someone like Ruth, 
that might have been looked at the lowest of the low, but you chose her to be a part of your family lineage. You chose to redeem her, God. We thank you that you choose to redeem us. Sometimes we feel we're the lowest of lows, but you chose us to be like, Noah, you're a part of my family line. So God, we thank you that you choose us, God, that you are completely loyal, loving to us. That's it. We thank you, God. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Rescue Church podcast. We would love to see you in person. For more information, visit rescuechurch.tv slash invite.